0: You're listening to ReachMDXM 233, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinicians Roundtable. I'm Dr. Maurice Pickard, your host, and with me today is Dr. Thomas Quinn, Professor of Medicine and Pathology at the Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. He also holds adjunct appointments in the Molecular Microbiology and Immunology, Epidemiology, and International Health at the Bloomberg School of Public Health at the Johns Hopkins University. He is also head of the section of International HIV and AIDS and STDs in the Laboratory of Immunoregulation and Infectious Diseases. He is currently the director of the Center for Global Health at the Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. Today we'll be discussing the world's first 25-year struggle with the AIDS epidemic and what the future holds. Thank you, Dr. Quinn, for joining us.
1: It's a pleasure to be here.
0: What are your thoughts when you look back on the last 25 years since the first cases of AIDS were recognized?
1: No one knew at that time that we would be here 25 years later, still counting numbers of cases of newly infected people with HIV infection, nor people dying from this dreadful disease of AIDS. 25 years is a long time, and I think when the first few cases started to appear, It was felt that this would probably be a short-lived epidemic that probably would not expand beyond selected groups. Within a year, that had already changed. It had already spread from gay men to injecting drug users to hemophiliacs to blood transfusion recipients to Haitians living in Haiti to numerous numbers of people engaging in high-risk sex. By 1983, it was then evident, just two years after the first few cases, that this was already spreading throughout Africa, where it had originated, and was slowly picking up speed, but moving into other areas of the world. By the end of the first decade, here we saw a massive global epidemic, but we still, as a medical society, I do not believe anyone could have forecasted that we would be seen uh, up to 40 million people living with HIV, nearly 40 million fatalities from AIDS, and the struggle of all countries trying to combat this disease and to limit its spread. It's been a long time in that process, but we don't really see any end to the process, unfortunately. And that is probably the most discouraging fact about AIDS today that we've come 25 years and it's probably most likely that we're going to be going at least another five or ten years before we have a vaccine that can stop this epidemic.
0: You mentioned that the whole world is dealing with this epidemic. When you sit back, do you think that the epidemic is taking a different form in the countries that have resources as opposed to the countries that don't have resources?
1: Undoubtedly. The inequities in access to care, to diagnosis, to treatment is profound. With the developed countries of the world, the more wealthier countries being able to treat nearly every infected individual with state-of-the-art advanced drugs and have converted this fatal disease into a chronic disease, sometimes debilitating and sometimes not. Some people with good treatment suppress the virus and can live a fairly normal life. That's in contrast to some parts of Africa where you see millions millions of people infected with HIV, progressing to AIDS, and without even the knowledge that they're infected with it or accessing care to be treated. Now, this is changing. I don't want to paint too uh, grim of a picture. It, it is definitely changing in that due to international donations, antiretroviral drugs are moving into the poorer countries of the world people are being treated. The most recent statistic from UNAIDS is that in a span of just three years, two million people who were not previously reaching treatment are now on life-saving treatment for, for their disease. So there are changes. It's just slow in coming, and we have to continue to work hard and strive to make sure that those inequities are met and changed so that we have a more equal situation throughout the
0: world. In our own country, we seem to be hearing more about body fat abnormalities, metabolic abnormalities, and the possible appearance of resistance to medications. How do you feel about these two particular areas that we're seeing in our own country?
1: We have evolved our treatment regimens over the years. As, as you know, we started out in 1987 with single-drug regimens. That extended the lifespan for about six to ten months, and that was about it. By the early 90s, we had evolved to two drug regimens, and that extended lifespan maybe a year and a half but resistance was occurring. By 1996, with the advent of the protease inhibitors, we moved to what we call highly active antiretroviral drugs, where we use three or more drugs in combination. That had remarkable impact on survival, where people are living, we don't even know for how long, but for a long time, and the survival rate's fantastic. It's very, very good. Now the concern is that we've had some of these individuals who have have gone along with this treatment regimen change, and so by the time they even got to the triple drug regimens, they already had resistance, and then they unfortunately might have spread some resistant virus to newly infected people. So overall, resistance is a problem. It's one that can be monitored and addressed, though we have over 22 different licensed antiretroviral drugs that we can use in combinations. And so if one monitors the resistant strain of the virus, one can come up with a treatment cocktail that should be able to beat the virus. So I actually am pretty optimistic that we can monitor resistance, that we can come up with drugs that can beat it, as long as the patients that are taking these are adherent. That is perhaps the, the most important facet of the treatment regimen, the compliance that the patient must adhere to prevent the development of new resistant virus. So to answer that question, I think we, we are battling the resistance, and we're winning that battle. That's not to say resistance isn't there. It's just that we know how to get around it uh, as long as the patient is willing to work with the practitioner.
0: And is this the reason why at the present time we still don't treat asymptomatic patients who are HIV positive?
1: One of the reasons we don't treat the asymptomatic people is that if their CD4 count is high, and their viral load is low, then their body naturally is trying to fight this virus to some degree. Why expose that person to some of the metabolic side effects of these drugs if you don't need to? It's not the resistance I'm concerned about there. It is more the metabolic side effects of the drugs. And knowing that once you start these drugs, it's lifelong, You can't really interrupt the treatment. You need to stay on it for the rest of your life, just like you would need to take insulin for a patient with severe diabetes. So it's the initial commitment. When is the patient ready to go on therapy? And are they going to be adherent? And what are their immunologic parameters at the time you want to start therapy?
0: You mentioned stopping therapy. Recently, there was SMART strategies, which was to stop treatment if your CD4 was over 350 and replications were down. This research project was stopped. Could you tell me why it was stopped?
1: The SMART trial was an important and one of the largest trials conducted internationally on antiretroviral therapy. And you're right, once the person's immune function started to rise and reached a certain level, you could stop the drugs and give them a prolonged drug holiday, hoping to decrease the metabolic side effects of the drugs. Unfortunately, those individuals that were in the interrupted arm compared to those people on the continuous therapy did much worse. They had more opportunistic infections. They did develop more resistance. They had an increase in the rate of complications from their therapy. So it really did not look like this is going to be recommended in any way, shape, or form in the foreseeable future unless we get better drugs that that we can do this with. But right now, interrupted therapy is not going to be recommended because of that trial. And we need to continue. Once you start the patient on therapy, and the patient's got to be fully on board with you, then you've got to continue those drugs
0: for the life of that patient. If you've just joined us, you're listening to Reach MDXM 233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard, and our guest today is Professor Thomas Quinn, and we're discussing the AIDS epidemic that continues to cause our whole world struggle for better health. You you mentioned that how important compliance is with your patients. Recently, we've seen some evidence that people are talking about a party pill, actually taking medication in people who are HIV negative when they practice unsafe sex or high-risk practices. And also, patients who are practicing high-risk activities who are still negative taking medications to reduce infection. How do you feel about this particular practice?
1: We don't have any research studies to definitively prove that that works or doesn't work. However, having said that, there are studies planned, mostly overseas, to actually randomize people to what we call pre-exposure prophylaxis. And there are other trials called post-exposure prophylaxis, where individuals who have engaged or are continuing to engage in high-risk sex do take a medication that is an antiretroviral drug to, to hopefully prevent acquisition of HIV. Now, those studies are not completed. Some have started. Most of them are overseas. So while people might think they're being protected by taking these medications, we really don't know, and they have to be given by prescription. And so I would say to those who might be engaging in safe sex, that the best way they can protect themselves is by practicing safer sex practices. So that's barrier contraceptive and barrier means, such as a condom, to prevent HIV acquisition. Taking these medications may give you a false hope, may put you at increased side effects, could affect resistance.
0: There are a million people in the United States who are HIV positive or have AIDS, and there are 150 to 300,000 people in the United States who are unaware that they have AIDS. With 40,000 new cases every year, most of them becoming positive with a contact in the last year. What can we do about this in our own country?
1: Well, the CDC has recently issued new guidelines that HIV testing should be provided on a more routine basis at healthcare facilities and other types of clinic venues. The whole idea there is to try and get more people to access testing.
0: I want to thank Dr. Thomas Quinn, who's been our guest, and we've been discussing the HIV-AIDS epidemic. I'm Dr. Maurice Pickard, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM 233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your emails to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.